to the ether today is wednesday december 14th 2022 today on the ether into the interchain with shade protocol featuring nim let's take a listen yeah we'll give it we'll give it a few minutes here uh to to let the room fill up and if you guys do see the tweet um about us being live here please feel free to share it and uh make sure that make sure that it gets around but we'll give it to about 11:05, and then we'll then we'll start should be an interesting space today. A couple, a couple privacy projects chatting. I'm excited to see where this gets to. I think this works now, right? <laughs> Can you hear me? That's it. You're Yay. up. Yay! Perfect. Good to be. Um, good to be here with you. Um, and yes, my name is pronounced Jaya. It was perfectly perfect pronunciation. Jaya, thanks for being here. We're excited to to have the chat. We'll probably start around 11:05 ish. Usually is when we get up there in in guests so we'll give it a few minutes for people to roll in but thanks again for joining Perfect. we usually have this in our community calls as well and we keep talking about the need for some kind of like uh pause music you know for when you're waiting <laughs> like a little jingle or something i was i was on with umi last week and they they were playing some sort of music through someone's phone nearby or something it was great <laughs> there's always that awkward moment in the beginning waiting for people to trickle in Perfect. Well, we may have one more uh, person from our team joining, Jaya. Uh, Carter Watsley is our lead researcher, but we'll just we'll get it going. Um, and obviously, this is recorded as well, so we'll be able to share this post post conversation. Great. Um, but again, thanks for thanks for joining us um, on Into the Interchain. I guess my first question for you uh, is if you could introduce yourself, give us a little bit of background for what you do at NIM. And then, what specifically is NIM, and what is the hope to what's the what's the accomplishment that that NIM is going for? Yep, absolutely. So my name is Jaya, and my official, very kind of fancy sounding title is head of strategy or chief strategy officer, um, which you know is a way of saying I'm the kind of person that connects the kind of deep tech work that's happening with the dev team to you know what's happening in the external world that's kind of how i perceive my role um and uh to explain a little bit about nim itself so nim is what's called a mixnet um and uh you know being that this is this you know call is called into the interchain i think i would like to kind of try and explain a little bit the high level architecture of what's going on here so um, what we've got is the MixNet, which is a kind of overlay network that protects privacy at the network layer. So what that means is it protects the kind of privacy of packets as they're routed through the internet. Um, I can go, I want to go into a little bit more depth with that in a minute, but first to kind of explain how that relates to interchain and blockchain protocols or, or blockchains in general is um, the MixNet is, let's say, the first application of what's running on the Nix blockchain. And the Nix blockchain is a blockchain in the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, so that's kind of how things kind of string together. Um, the NIM mixnet is an incentivized mixnet, uh, but I always like to start to explain things in that kind of a way because people tend to to mistake, you know, the mixed nodes that operate the mixnet for, you know, validators and, and kind of um, the more typical blockchain architectures. So we've got kind of three, you know, a few different systems going on here that, that relate to each other in that kind of a way. Um, what we're hoping to achieve with the NIM MixNet is, um, first of all, to provide, you know, blanket network layer privacy for any chain, any wallet, any application across both the Web 2 and Web 3 space. Because when it comes to um, network layer surveillance, this is something that is a kind of shared problem across across industries. Um, and essentially what 
you know, what happens with network layer surveillance is that you typically have an observer that's passively observing um, traffic at, as it's routing through the internet and um, can analyze the metadata of packets as they're routing through the internet um, and actually deduce a lot of very fine-grained information. So, you know, this is kind of uh, what, what basically what the MixNet does is it protects um, from large-scale traffic analysis and it protects... Uh, your IP address and it protects your your metadata. And there's not really any other kind of um, architectures that can do that. Uh, traditional VPNs, you know, they can kind of obscure your IP address, but, you know, they don't really provide privacy in terms of, um, uh, you know, traffic analysis. And even Tor, um, you know, provides, you know, some layer, some level of privacy, but when it comes to an observer that can observe an entire network um, and do things like end-to-end -end correlation attacks, um, even there, there's, uh, you know, the possibility to de-anonymize people by analyzing um, the patterns of communication. And when I say patterns of communication, I'm talking about like, you know, the time of the day that you, that you send a message, the size of the, of the, the message, uh, the size of the packet, um, you know, that you're kind of your fingerprint of, of communications, let's say. So that's what we're trying to achieve with the NIM MixNet. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, you're, I think we, I was invited on this, this podcast because we're part of the Universal Privacy Alliance. And so, you know, one thing that's kind of very important for us is, is for people to understand, you know, full stack privacy. So what are the different challenges at, at different layers of the stack? Um, for us to kind of work together to, to provide, you know, privacy as the default across, across the entire space. Um, I could, I want to kind of pause there for any like potential questions, but um, I could also go into a little bit more detail around the, the Nix blockchain that operates the NIM MixNet and, and a little bit more about that relationship because the MixNet is a tokenized MixNet. So, you know, the blockchain kind of um, facilitates that and, and is also a kind of general purpose uh, Cosm Wasm smart contract blockchain. blockchain. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no. I feel like that was a mouthful to kick off. <laughs> no, I, it was very, very easily followed. Um, so I, I appreciate the the kind of layout in regards to to what NIM fully is. I think that was a very, very well well put mm -hmm. um, summarization. But I, my next question was actually regarding the Nix network and the in the blockchain. So I would love if you could go into that. Yeah, for sure. Um so like I said, you know, the way that we see things is NIM is kind of like the first application that runs on the Nix blockchain. And what the Nix blockchain does for the MixNet is it uh, you know it provides it allows us to have a token um that incentivizes people to to run mix nodes. Um, so mix nodes are rewarded for providing privacy in the NIM MixNet. Um, and the token also facilitates a kind of reputation system that ensures that the the network runs with at a kind of high quality um, in a kind of high quality manner. Um, and then the blockchain itself, the Nix blockchain is kind of it's I mean, it's kind of interesting the way things have kind of played out because, you know, NIM is is most famous for being a mixnet and for providing that kind of network layer privacy. And it's almost as if we haven't kind of, well, I know for a fact we haven't made enough noise about the blockchain itself. Um, so, and the blockchain we call Nix um, to distinguish a little bit between the two the two architectures. Um, and you know, the Nix the Nix chain is actually available for you know any other developer to actually build um, applications on top of. So, like I said, it's it's Cosm Wasm smart contracts. Um, and we are uh, we are also in the process of implementing something called ZK NIMS. Um, and I know that ZKs are kind of becoming all the rage, um, but it is actually a super important component, um, I think, for, you know, a wide variety of applications. But um, specifically what ZK NIMS does for the NIM MixNet is it allows people to um, to pay for, you know, MixNet usage without compromising their privacy, right? So, you know, there is that kind of ironic uh, thing that like, okay, you buy a VPN service, but by buying a VPN service, you're giving away all your information, right? Because you have your credit card details, your address, your name, everything like that. Um, so with, <clears throat> with uh, ZK NIMS, which is basically an anonymous credentialing scheme, yeah, uh, we're trying to ensure that there is the the capacity for people to um, uh, to pay for privacy and then you know prove that they have you know used the kind of anonymous credentials as a proof of payment that delinks you know any identifying information from the proof itself, right? So 
um, uh, that's something that we're uh, just about to implement. We've we put out some initial bits of code um, this week in a, in a release, um, and then you know we're kind of kind of elaborate on the the capacity and, and the kind of remit of zk nims a lot more in the new in the new year. And so, how zk nims relate to the Nix blockchain is um, it's uh, it's kind of a distributed uh, it, we, it, zk nims is a kind of distributed um, uh, I'm drawing a mind, mind black <laughs> blank here. Uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, so people, basically the validators of the Nix blockchain will be the issuing authorities of these credentials. So what that means is that any developer that wants to actually develop, you know, smart contract applications on the Nix chain can also take advantage of ZK NIMS um, and easily incorporate anonymous credentials into whatever application that they're providing. So Basically, what we're doing here is we're going from the kind of network layer privacy that the NIM MixNet uh, provides to a kind of application layer privacy by enabling people to prove, you know, their right to access various services without having to reveal any identifying information. So uh, I hope that gives kind of the full <laughs> picture. It's it's a lot of kind of bits. <laughs> no, that definitely does help help to give the the full picture. And then Z zk tech is obviously very much all the rage. So I'm super interested to see uh, in a couple months then here what the solution that you guys come out with is. Um, as far as applications building on on the blockchain, what kind of section of the industry are you targeting or what type of applications do you see have the biggest benefit from the direction that you're, you're pointing the next blockchain here? I mean, that's a, it's a really good question. And we're kind of, it's like tentative steps that we're taking right now. Um, so, you know, it, like, I do think that there is, you know, when it comes to like anonymous credentials, like one, you know, absolutely kind of major, major use case here is, you know, various new forms of e-cash and privacy preserving payment systems, right? Um, so I think that's going to, and that's something that, you know, it's a kind of, it's a, it's a big one, <laughs> um, but it's something that I think is going to be uh, pretty fascinating as a kind of topic and an area of both technical development and narrative development over the next year or so, um, because of, you know, the kind of ways that when somehow, like when it comes to anonymous payments or privacy preserving payments, um, people freak out very easily, right? People immediately associate it with crime. Um, and that's something that I think there's a lot of work to be done in shifting the narrative around that um, and shifting the perception perception of that, because I don't think a lot of people have realized just how identifying um, payment information actually is when it comes to, you know, your 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 lifestyle, your state of mind, your your social relationships, your habits, your status in society. Um, and as payments go more and more digital, like this is becoming increasingly sensitive information. So, you know, when it comes to anonymous payments, it's really something that I that I want for people to be kind of normalized in the public debate. Um, and one means of achieving that in the digital space is definitely through, uh, you know, anonymous credential systems like ZK and So that's something that we're exploring. Our R&D team is looking into that. Um, uh, so the kind of applications that are interested in, in kind of um, working in that area for sure. And our R&D team is also looking at um, uh, KYC, the KYC process. So, you know, another kind of major pain point in the industry um, and uh, and the kind of adoption of ZK NIMS for towards kind of KYC, um, privacy preserving KYC processes. Um, and then I, but like, this is kind of, let's say, this is like what we've been kind of exploring in terms of how, you know, what ZK names can offer people that want to build applications on the Nix blockchain. But to be honest, um, you know, I, I wouldn't want to limit people's imagination to that. It's like, it is, a, you know, it's a fast finality, uh, cause and wasn't blockchain that is really just like my, we really just invite a lot of people to come and, and play around. So, um, like I said, we haven't made a whole lot of noise about it quite yet. It's going to be a kind of a, a big focus in, in the kind of early months of 2023. Um, this year has been very focused on, on getting the MixNet um, running and optimized. Yeah, very cool. We, we totally agree. Obviously, at Shade Protocol, we're, we're building privacy-preserving um, privacy preserving financial, financial applications. So all of this kind of DeFi space, as soon as you add 
add privacy in it, there's a lot of people that instantly jump to the kind of suspicion edge of things of, oh, what, what do you need privacy for yeah. in, your, in your finances? But it's weird that it's not obvious in the blockchain space like it is obvious in any sort of real world application. So we're definitely just like spaces like this on that education front, trying to push the narrative more towards that privacy is just the basis that you operate in when you're talking about financial transactions at all. Yeah. And then the, the you're tackling all the big ones with KYC as well. And especially that kind of, um, the, the piece with the ZKs of that anonymous credential system, I think is a super, super interesting solution. So yeah, the KYC problem in, in pair with the kind of an anonymous uh, DeFi is, is kind of the whole solution there. So I'm excited to see what you guys are working on. Yeah, and ditto. As far I, w as I would love to hear more, actually. Like, what are the kinds of, like, what are the challenges you guys come up against when you talk to people? Like, is there immediate suspicion or what, what's the... It, it really depends. I'm on the business development side, so I, I talk with, with new teams that don't know anything about us all the time. And it, it really ranges. So sometimes the first question people ask is, oh, how do you expect to last when you're going to get regulated out in the next couple couple years for being, for being privacy, just like tornado yeah. cash type thing is where a lot of people jump to. But then I always find that all of the people that understand the idea that we're, that we're working with have in some in some form experienced some sort of issue in their in their life financially or on the blockchain previously where a lack of privacy or personal identity was stolen or something like that and then they really get yeah. it so it's kind of one of those things that makes a lot of sense as soon as you understand why you need it yeah. so all of those people get the vision get the vision right away and then for everybody else, it's been largely a matter of education for kind of walking people through the process of understanding why it's important and even just demonstrating how it's already applicable in your daily life with traditional finance. So the education piece comes comes in really importantly. And obviously, there still is some people that are suspicious on the blockchain side of things, whether or not um, regulatory bodies will actually allow privacy preserving technology to last or linger yeah. in the, in the blockchain space. And that's a different question, but again, it really is a matter of education and the people that get it right away are always the people that have experienced why it's important firsthand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, you know, regulators are not just this kind of like block of, you know, uh, kind of a, a stone wall either. Right. There is, I think it's like the education also needs to go there, right? And a lot of that has to do with how the public debate is shaped and just getting involved in, in the narrative so that people's, like, even, you know, even regulators will have kind of, like, associations that come quick to their mind. And I think the possibility of changing, you know, those associations to um, to something else is, is actually, like, I think, I feel like that's the task at hand, right? It's, it's a, lot, a lot of work on the narrative front. It definitely is. Yeah. And we've seen there's a lot of progress that our team personally has seen, even just being um, what it seems like similar to your team, mostly mostly doxed. Um, and that, that kind of goes hand in hand with getting rid of that kind of underbelly type version of, of, of privacy when people representing protocols that are working on privacy solutions are upfront with their identity, upfront with why they're working on privacy, upfront with demonstrating how it's how it's valuable and how it can be compliant or how it can fit into current current regulatory frameworks without issue stuff like that yeah. of being able to have those upfront conversations with regulators and lawyers and actually meeting people and actually having those conversations really do go a lot a long yeah, way yeah exactly I completely agree so uh, what i wanted to touch on a couple a couple back and forths ago was based on what you're we were talking about with kind of who you're looking to pull into the uh, Nix ecosystem, the blockchain ecosystem. Could you describe how NIM enables different versions of smart contracts or different applications differently than maybe other privacy preserving solutions or other blockchains in the ecosystem in general? Or what, what benefits building on NIM would bring to a specific uh, developer? I mean, the main benefits would be, you know, easy, uh, you know, use of ZK NIMs, right? So that that is definitely kind of the main thing that we see ourselves as offering. 
um and then and then the the, the nim mixnet as well so easy integration in terms of kind of network layer privacy and uh anonymous credentials um you know for us it, it really is kind of providing the tools that makes like you know it makes it easier for developers to integrate really strong privacy protections because one thing is to say like yeah we need privacy by design and developers need to be thinking about these problems but like my god these are not easy problems to solve right um and they you know it, it allowing developers to take advantage of the substantial work and the substantial expertise in r d that has gone into building you know an incredibly powerful um mixed net overlay network um and all the work that's been going into developing uh, the nitty-gritty and the kind of libraries around around zk nims you know i think making that available to developers who who are concerned about privacy um and providing privacy for their end users but you know don't necessarily have the kind of the time the expertise and, and the tooling to make that happen that's kind of where we see ourselves and that's kind of what we want to offer the space very cool very cool we've we've seen a similar thing with, with shade protocol we've got several teams that are working on all of our all of our applications here and obviously it's all under under shade so it's a lot about finding finding people in in spaces that aren't looking to build out a community, aren't looking to build out their own ZK technology, their own chain, stuff like that, yeah. and then leveraging leveraging those groups. So that's definitely a, a solid path to adoption and one that we've kind of used ourselves with with Shed Protocol mm. um, as we've been building our, our protocol as well. And obviously making it easy, easy for developers to get on chain is super important. And one of the first steps that any blockchain has to take to really get adoption. But then the second one is more on the user side. For secret network, we've got things like viewing queues, we've got we've got privacy baked in, and that does make it at times a little bit more challenging for adoption for users, adoption for developers, and we've seen solutions come to come to address problems like this that, that we've seen. On on NIM, is there privacy issues or development issues that come with adoption that you guys are working to solve? Maybe specifically on the like user experience side. So mm, there's, I guess, two different answers to that. So on the one hand, when it comes to the mixed net itself, um, a lot of the vision, you know, we have this kind of hashtag that we use over and over again, that's called privacy loves company. And that's kind of, it relates on the one hand to the fact that like, like the anonymity set, right? You, you want to have a lot of different traffic coming through the mixed net from a lot of different types of applications um, in order to provide kind of strong anonymity and strong privacy protections for everyone. Um, and then, and then, uh, but, it, and so it, it relates to kind of um, the ability for, you know, lots and lots of people to make use of the mixed net without necessarily having having the kind of expertise or going that extra step of installing a kind of new VPN or whatever else to do that. So our approach when it comes to usability of the mixed net is, uh, is to kind of focus a lot of our efforts on integrations and kind of B2B um, approaches. So, you know, the ideal scenario is that we've got, you know, a kind of bunch of popular wallets and popular apps, um, popular chat apps, um, uh, and, you know, even through to industry, uh, I'm sorry, institutional adoption um, to, you know, so that the kind of end user doesn't actually need to kind of interface with this huge complex beast called the MixNet and all its token dynamics, right? <laughs> um, so that's like, on the one hand, you know, the MixNet. And then when it comes to ZK NIMS and like the next blockchain, to be honest, that's kind of it, it to me, it's like, that's the juicy next problem um, that I, so I don't have a kind of straightforward answer to you there yet, because we're still working that stuff, stuff out, because I actually think that, um, you know, zero <laughs> ZK technologies in general is like uh, fairly new in terms of actual implementation. I mean, I know the research has been around for a while, but like, actually coding this stuff up and starting to implement it in, in, in the real world is like, it's fairly new and it's a new design space that, you know, that's where I think like a lot of explainers need to happen, a lot of kind of creative new thinking, um, because these are like, let's say, kind of patterns of adoption and patterns of interaction online that um, don't quite exist yet. So I think in terms of usability, we have, there's a lot to kind of explore there. Um, yeah, both both in terms of use cases and in terms of like 
the actual, you know, the kind of the, the, the rituals, the, the kind of UI, the UI patterns, UX patterns, right? Um, and, I, and I think that's going to be a really kind of fascinating space over the next, like, many years, in fact. Um, this is like, I mean, I know the word magic gets thrown around a lot when it comes to cryptography and different cryptographic techniques, but when it comes to, you know, for zero knowledge, it's just like, it's such a kind of beautiful, magical space to play around in. Um, cause you almost like end up in this area where it's like, where before people tend to kind of think about surveillance and privacy as like black and white. It's like, either you have privacy or you have surveillance. And then with ZKs, it's like, oh my God, you've got this entire gray space that opens up that, where you can, can you can design all kinds of, um, proofs, uh, in a kind of privacy preserving and anonymous um, fashion. And so, you know, the ability to make use of that and to kind of really provide value to the end user um, is something that, like, I think is going to take a lot of, like, testing, exploration, creativity. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's a, that's a really good answer for a, pre a pretty hard question, especially in the, in the kind of ZK space where UI UX isn't really even built for anything in involving... Um, anything relating to anything zero knowledge yeah. so it's like it's a it's just kind of a question that's right right on the beginning of being able to think about answering exactly but and i think very, very good answer. yeah there. exactly and i think here it's like it's important to get a lot of people involved right because you know mm -hmm. one thing is you know it's it's like we're, we need to move on from the kind of like you know the the mathematicians and the and the research and the cryptographers and and the kind of devs that are kind of like tinkering with trying to make these things work and then we need to start kind of throwing it into the kind of hands of like social scientists philosophers um you know uh, ui designers like people that have like wild imaginations and can start kind of to think zk's through from the other end right and some and then so we can kind of glue this thing together in the middle um because it's like i you know too often, like, you know, if you come just from the tech perspective, you can kind of miss out on a lot of the types of, like, the new types of stories and new types of meaning, the new types of interactions um, that, like, you know, people from kind of the social sciences might be able to come up with um, when they start kind of poking around a bit in, in the new uh, the new field of possibility that, that really is opened up with ZKs, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm super, I'm super interested to see, I mean, between your team and any, anyone else between UI UX and app, app designers and the kind of creative side of the space, what people are able to come up with it, with this kind of gray area that, that ZKs are, like, like you said, of being able to have these privacy preserving proofs opens up a lot of interesting avenues for new applications and new, new um, versionings of like things that we already have, but in, in this privacy preserving kind of kind of lane of things but either either way there's there's that and the creative side and there's still still the tech side that has to be worked out in the in the gas efficiency and computational efficiency with all of these things yep. i know the the load on um, computation is pretty heavy with ck so i'm interested if you have information on how you have been solving that what you guys have been thinking about with that kind of side of the whole zk tech um piece there Oof, that is uh that's a, it's a good question it's with our r&d team and we're, um i don't have the the direct answer to that to be honest like our r&d team is looking into you know various kind of optimization pathways and then i know that like so we've got um chelsea manning's on our team as well and she's like super keen on um like hard the hardware angle and optimization um she's actually due to send me a kind of brief uh today or tomorrow on her latest thoughts on that because she's kind of mapped out a whole a whole kind of um r d program for the next like half a year or so to look into that angle um so i don't have anything concrete to answer on that question quite yet <laughs> That, that's no problem. I would have been pretty surprised if you gave me a really straightforward, <laughs> solid answer. <laughs> it's, I don't know if anyone has it solved just yeah. yet, but yeah, I'm interested to see what solution you guys are working towards and super excited about that. For sure. I, uh, I have a strategy question for you, Jaya. So regarding institutional adoption, my, my opinion has always been that once privacy is more adopted and more fleshed out in regards to kind of just the mainstream 
that's when we're going to see institutional adoption more so and and they'll be able to come in and and use these products and use blockchain to the extent that they use the web2 world so in your eyes what does institutional adoption look like and then what does institutional adoption look like in terms of privacy so um you know from my perspective like people people like to kind of bunch things into like you know you've got like the government and then you've got like the corporation and then you've got you know um various kind of ngo like organizations and then kind of like the people or something like this um Mm -hmm. when actually like there is there's such a kind of breadth of understanding sympathy potential alliances and so on that crisscross all these different spaces um perhaps more so now than ever before um and especially when it comes to the topic of privacy because people's angles you know vary so much and there's like geopolitical reasons for why like institutions in one country might be more readily available to adopt like strong privacy protections um versus others so you know like i think in general yes you know we might say that you know institutional adoption comes after mainstream adoption by kind of end users but i actually think that in some cases it could you know it might be the other way around um simply for the reasons of you know like i don't know if you guys have noticed lately but like you know the kind of the concept of digital sovereignty and technological sovereignty has kind of been like high on the agenda for for a lot of uh, countries um you know mm-hmm. now like things calmed down a little bit after by or after trump lost the last election but definitely when trump was in power europe was freaking out right so you have like these geopolitical things that mean that that you know countries governments uh institutions at both both the municipal and the national level um start to to kind of really look at privacy as a core part of like you know cybersecurity as well in general um both for the institutions themselves but also for their populations now, when it comes to the populations, it's always a complicated question, right? Because, um, you know, the state, the, the you know government institutions, especially when it comes to uh, security, national security agencies, you know, they really want to know what's going on in the population. They really want to have the back doors and everything. Um, but at the same time, you know, by allowing those back doors, they open up for uh, security risks, in, you know, in, in terms of surveillance, not just by themselves, by, but by others also on their populations. And so they're caught in this kind of like double bind. Um, and that's something that I think can like that contradiction can be pushed a lot um, from a narrative perspective and from a kind of strategic perspective um, that, you know, the case is just quite simply like you open up the back door and you 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 compromise security for everybody. And so I think we that's an argument that I that I reckon can be made um, in terms of, uh, you know, towards institutions and, and around the question of institutional adoption and support in general. Um, so, yeah. And then like a bit more concretely you know like i think in the case of nim we're in this kind of interesting uh we're this kind of yeah in this interesting position of of having been funded by the european commission so like the very the the early technology the r&d for for the mixnet technology and stuff came from uh well not just the mixnet technology but in fact also zk nims like all of these came out of various european commission funded r&d projects um and so like there is some you know, there is some pride from the European Commission in the sense of like seeing these projects graduate from, you know, research projects to become kind of market ready products that are that are being adopted and, and widely used. Um, and so, you know, I, I think yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we if we had, you know, institutional adoption from from kind of European institutions quite early on. Um, this is, is def- definitely something we'll be working towards. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And and I, I do think I tend to agree with you on most points. Um, you strike me as someone who <laughs> may not be a fan of overarching government, um, but definitely understands the benefits and, and the abilities that they can have. Um, so I, I enjoy your perspective quite a lot. Um, it's very cool to actually hear that you guys have a, a very great working relationship with the European Commission. I, I was unaware of that. So that's very, very interesting to me. Um, I always think it's it's better as a whole for projects and protocols to be collaborative and to work with rather than against. There's, there's never anything to be gained, particularly when you take a stand against things. Um, you can take a stand for things, but you, you have to be able to be collaborative and, and work with other people 
to to accomplish goals that are that are larger than yourself. And so it's always just very very reassuring when when I when we talk to protocols when we have conversations that they also agree with that collaborative effort um, in in narrative because if they don't, it's it's tough to kind of rationalize with that. Yeah, I mean, I I agree, and we do we do tend to to you know take a collaborative approach, um, you know, as long as that collaboration doesn't compromise on the on the final aim, right, and on the and on the vision, yep, exactly. And and I you know I would say that like anyone that takes a kind of like you know blanket um, like approach to collaborating with other other protocols, other companies, other, uh, you know, agencies and institutions is like, well, you know, I think it's important to make intelligent decisions there. Right. And so what's interesting about working with, you know, the beast that is the, the European Commission. And I mean, the, and I mean, the beast here in the sense that, like, you know, when we're talking about these types of institutions, we're talking about, you know, huge institutions with, I don't know how many different subdivisions and, and um, working groups and so on that are actually, you know, that, that give rise to a whole load of contradictions, right? So, Another person that we work very closely with is a very famous cryptographer, Bart Perniel, um, who's based out of KU Leuven. And he, you know, has been a very vocal uh, presence in the privacy debates in Europe. Um, and he, you know, he continues to make this point that the European Commission and the, and the EU is, uh, you know, tends to have super contradictory um, uh, ways of going about the question of privacy. Because, you know, on the one hand, you have a GDPR and you've got a lot of regulators and policymakers and and um, research uh, researchers within within the European Commission institutions that are pushing hard for privacy as a fundamental right, yeah. But then on the other hand, you've got like other parts of the Commission that are like pushing forward on things like client side scanning and like implementing like these mass surveillance um, technologies into everybody's devices. And so, you know, those are the contradictions that we're working within. And so. When it comes to like knowing your allies and knowing your enemies, it's you can't just say like, you know, the European Commission or whatever. It's like it, every every institution, every company, you know, you kind of need to get a little bit more nitty gritty and hands on. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And again, I agree with you, the, a beast in the nicest way possible, but also just trying to make sure that everyone is aware that like there is more than just like you said the overarching i guess commission there's there's a bunch of things that make up that commission that you have to to navigate and have to work around and have to work with or not work with if it doesn't make sense for the end goal um so yeah that's a i guess thank you for for answering that it was a kind of complex question and i guess we we could probably talk about it for a very long time but I do agree with you that it makes sense as long the collaboration makes sense as long as it's pursuing the end goal. The the collaboration doesn't make sense as soon as it deviates from that, and I I can't agree more. Um, I I think we're we're at eleven forty here, and I know that Fisco and I have a very hard stop at at noon for us, so twelve p.m. Uh, for us, I guess. Fisco, do you have any final questions? And if not, Jaya, I will turn it over to you if you have any final questions for us, and then we can do a quick five to 10 minutes of community AMA. Cool. So yeah, Fisco, if you, if you do have any final questions for Jaya, please feel free. I don't have any, any additional questions. I don't think that come to mind. I think we can turn over to community questions. Or awesome. questions for us, Jack? Yeah, I mean, I, I would just love to hear a little bit more about, you know, um, on the topic of collaboration and in the spirit of collaboration and, and the Universal Privacy Alliance and this idea of kind of, um, mm. you know, working across across chains and across protocols. What what does collaboration look like you, for you guys at the minute? Like who, who you're working with and what kind of capacities? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Fisco is probably best suited to answer this just because he is the head of partnership. So I'll let him take it. Yeah, I think, well, first of all, partnerships in the cosmos are, are pretty interesting. And it really depends on the on the chain that you're, you're talking to, how open they are to partner. In general, more than other, there is a strong collaborative mentality. So that's something I've really enjoyed about being in this space. For us, a lot of the partnerships right now have been centering around our DEX and StableSwap and Silk or StableCoin coming out. So we've, we've really been focusing in, on 
adoption for silk and seeing where utility for privacy preserving basket pegged stable coins lies. And it's a, it's a brand new product. It's what we're, we're calling it uh, fourth generation stable coin. And this is kind of the first of its, of its version. So it's been interesting on the partnership side, seeing where integrations lie for that, that type of thing. And then it's just been pulling in as many partners as possible for listing on our, on our decks is kind of where we're sitting at right now, but shade protocol in general are, one of our core core values is to drive partnership um, and collaboration in the space. We just really feel that that's a way that we push innovation forward, as yeah. as well as just kind of the general adoption of all of the products and projects that get involved in the larger ecosystem. So we see a lot of benefit in partnership in general. But for us right now, it's been a lot of focus on silk adoption as well as pulling people in to join join our decks for launch uh next year here cool that's very exciting yeah yeah i think the other thing i'll add to that is that we we are also building a, a bridging solution for the cosmos so you'll be able to come to shade protocols website our our app website and and basically ibc transfer any tokens that are supported on our on our bridge and so that also makes it very very easy for users to enter and exit positions um specifically either in asset or even on our lending protocol uh, that will kind of be the the mentor for for silk uh, just because it's over collateralized so it would it's really really easy and, and simple for users to come to our site and exit and enter positions that that allows them um, the privacy aspects of the secret network instead of just holding transparent tokens fantastic yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I'm one of the reasons why I also wanted to hear a little bit about, you know, collaboration and, and what you guys are up to and this kind of thing is because we're, you know, we're in this funny position of, like I said earlier, we, you know, we we launched like the NIM MixNet as like, you know, the first application on Nix, but we haven't actually done a whole lot with Nix yet. Um, and so, you know, we're very keen over the next like over the next like few months to actually start collaborating a lot more in the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, because in terms of our, you know, our presence there and, and, and kind of our relationship with other chains and stuff in the ecosystem, we've been a little bit quiet these past few months while we've been having our heads deep in, in, the, in the mix net and the token economics of the mix net. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's, that's um, like Fisco said, we're, we're looking at like very early next year um, in regards to launches and then just obviously moving past the launches we're we're looking to partner we're looking to incentivize we're looking to push forward the adoption of said products so always always more than willing to to have conversations especially with products and and protocols like nim because we're very big fans great um should we do a few questions from from others yeah yeah absolutely so i know i know red uh he's a long-standing community member he's just he's been up here um for a while now so i appreciate your tenacity red I'll, I'll bring you up here i think your question was probably related to something earlier in the in the space but you're good to go hey guys um i have a quick question for jaya um i'm curious what you and and nim in general, view view as the largest uh, product market fit for privacy solutions. Uh, personally, I think enterprise is the easiest product market fit and customer base to kind of provide these privacy solutions for and generate sustainable business models. But the largest benefactors of privacy are generally retail because they have the least of it. Um, but unfortunately, retail is the group that's least likely to give up. Uh, a, a simple user experience for privacy. So I'm curious what you think um, the largest product market fit is for privacy solutions and maybe how NIM is hoping to expand uh, the product market fit. Ooh, enterprise versus retail. Um, well, I mean, you know, the way that we've kind of mapped things out is a little bit more, you know, 
So over the next, like the next year, we're hoping to kind of get a lot of adoption from the Web3 space, most like mostly focusing on wallets and so on, because we see this space as kind of early adopters for privacy, right? People tend to agree with privacy um, in this area and then to move towards institutional adoption towards the end of next year. Um, initially, simply because of the way that the MixNet operates, uh, I mean, enterprises not, yeah. Um, like we have, to be honest, we haven't looked at retail at all. Like at, at the minute we're looking at, you know, payment systems and then we're looking at, um, uh, and we're, we're, we've kind of taken a step into the kind of looking at like health data, this area. So we did some initial trials, in fact, on ZK NIMS, um, last year when there was the COVID passport, uh, kind of debacle where everyone was freaking out about COVID being like the, the, the first step towards kind of authoritarian identity systems. Um, so we did a, a prototype for the European Commission then. And so we kind of we stuck our heads into the, the, the kind of health data area for a bit. Um, but it's, these are like tentative. So right now, as the MixNet is being optimized, um, the initial, the initial kind of adoption is we see that as kind of end users looking for, you know, just basic VPN services, but more powerful. And then like the web three space before we, we then um, start working more closely with, with institutions in, um, you know, both, uh, finance and, and politics. I, I really appreciate your answer. Um, and I kind of find it interesting that you guys, uh, or saying that you're positioning yourself, kind of assuming your your main customer base is is not going to be retail. I think it's ultimately a, a customer base that's much harder to appease. Um, and so, in, in the event that you uh, were kind of positioning yourself and and marketing towards uh, retail users, I was going to ask how you guys are kind of tackling. Uh, UX improvement or like hoping to tackle UX improvement in general. Yeah. I mean, UX, I think UX when it comes to privacy is like such a, like, man, it's a problem that needs to be solved. Right. It's like, so it's, it's just not great right now. Um, but I think, like I said, a little bit earlier in the call, like the, you know, for me, it's like on the one hand, we're not dealing with that problem because, you know, the mixed net apart from, you know, providing this a, a VPN service, um, we're not going to have much kind of end user facing stuff. So it's going to be, you know, the mix that is going to be operating in the background of applications that people are already using, right? Whether it's chat apps or wallets or whatever else. Um, so on the one hand, we don't have to deal with the problem at all. And then on the other hand, when it comes to ZK NIMS, there's like a huge bunch of work that needs to be done. Um, but I see that as a kind of, it's almost like a UI UX R&D problem at this stage. Like we're so far from from having figured that out yet. Um, but I, yeah, I think it's, you know, I think it's, uh, it's an interesting set of problems to be solved because mm, in many ways it's a new set of problems because like we, you know, the, like the sheer kind of the sheer intensity of the privacy issues that we're experiencing now is purely because of like how much like you know, digital infrastructures are mediating an increasing amount of our lives, right? And so, like, the need for privacy and the need for um, incorporating new new forms of privacy is something that we're that we're only kind of seeing the beginnings of the dawn of. Um, you know, I think like you know, people using PGP keys or VPNs is just like it's 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 a kind of old school thing that never really took off, right? Yeah, I really appreciate um, your perspective and kind of laying out what you guys see as the the use cases for um, for NIM and Nix. Super excited to uh, to hear. I think the CEO of NIM is going to be speaking at the Secret Summit tomorrow yes. on a panel for Web three privacy. So super excited to to hear that discussion and um, kind of see where collaboration within the cosmos and Web three in general. Uh, can lead to greater privacy solutions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Harry Halpin is is speaking tomorrow, so that should be nice. Right. Awesome. Well, go ahead. Go ahead no, Harry. I was just going to ask if there was any other questions. <laughs> I 
I don't particularly see anybody else um, that's got their their hand up. But if anybody does have a question for for Shade or for Jaya uh, regarding them, then then please feel free to request to speak. We'll bring you up here, um, and you can you can ask a question. Uh, if not, probably in the next two minutes or so, we'll uh, we'll go ahead and call this. Um, like I said, Fisco and I gotta prepare for another for another meeting. So. But Red, appreciate you always asking very, very good questions. Yep. Yeah. No, I agree. It's it is a very good question. I mean, I you know I don't know. I I think to I could answer I I could answer that question a little bit more high level as well. You know the the whole UI UX problem. Um, I mean, this is something that I I feel like I've said in a few calls by now. But like the you know, when it comes to privacy, I think we have a kind of big task to turn it into something that isn't just like, you know, protective and preventative, but something that opens up new possibilities. Um, and I don't feel like that's been fully mapped out yet. So, you know, the kind of ways that, you know, when you have privacy preserving technologies, then, you know, you can actually start to deal with, you know, the data and the flows of data in a much more meaningful and much more sensible way. And so I feel like, I feel like we're at the beginning of something and I feel like we're at the beginning of a whole new set of user experience and ways of, of being online, but it's like, I'm, I'm just seeing the kind of the shimmer of it. It's not quite fully articulated yet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, it looks like we have a, we have another question here from Serenity Shield. They're a, they're a project on Secret Network as well. Um, yeah, would, would love for you guys to, to ask a question. Good evening, everyone. Hi, Jaya. Nikos here from Serenity Shield. Actually, really, it's more of an observation than uh, just a comment rather than a question, per se. But it, it always amazes me, you know, the time that we spend in the space. We're, we're personally building ourselves. You guys at Shade know exactly what we, our approach is and, and certainly our drive driving factor for privacy for our user base stems from our fundamental sort of desire to achieve digital rights that preserve privacy and preserve their choice and their freedom to decision. I guess it's autonomy of thought is, is the biggest thing. But just, just hearing everything you guys are speaking about tonight, especially yourself, Jai, I think you speak so eloquently about privacy and about blockchain in general. And it just always amazes me how many people actually are working on this concept of privacy. Uh, in the space more generally, and Red Red raised the I think this questionnaire was very very good. I think it's it, it's something we think in the here and now about how we can make the experience for users uh, better, how we can improve UI, how we can improve UX. But I think something we often forget is the infancy uh, and the infant stage that we are all at with this particular concept. A lot of what we're designing now is born out of of necessity, and a lot of the necessity has come about particularly through geopolitical uh, comments that have been made in recent years, sort of global factors that influence sort of policy. And hearing Jaya talk about European politics and the European Commission and the association that you have there, that for me shows where we have the biggest battleground. The retail user will sort of come on board when they're almost implored to do so. That is just the uh, the way the human mind unfortunately works. You know, it's a mass movement that will essentially make this happen. We here in the Web3 space, the people that are here, I was talking about this last night to my team on call. You know, I think we're trying to convince the wrong crowd sometimes. I think it's easy to win this crowd over because we're all here in agreement. I think we're, we need to collaborate better, and this is certainly where Serenity Shield and Shade and Secret work very well. And there's others that we're working with, and, I, and you guys made a fantastic point, something very close to my heart. Off, I often say is collaboration without a, a cause is one of the biggest problems in this space that I've witnessed for four years now, where you see partnerships emerge purely for the sake of trying to shell a project or make it look on the surface more appealing to buy, to bring token holders in. If we want to, if we want this to succeed, we have to give people a reason to use blockchain. That is what this all comes down to. Why would Web three be necessary in someone's life when they have Web two options? And that is what that for me is what we have to solve as a group. That is where our collaborative mindset, our intelligence as a species, everything that we've we've worked towards to this point. This is where we th where we thrive. 
look at the media around about us, guys. Look at everything we witness with FTX and, and AAX and BlockFi. The media have been fascinated with nothing more than what was a speculative uh, kind of industry. It wasn't really supportive of everything we are doing from a technological base. It wasn't supportive of our ideologies. It doesn't care about our philosophies. Yet, it seems to be where all the focus is. That should tell you everything about where the current market is and the current, uh, the, the kind of populace of the world is where their mind is at. That's who we have to convince. And I think that's a massive road ahead. And where Jaya, where we completely agree to Serenity Shield as well, turning your focus to institutional B2B solutions as well. This is how you can actually work to improve the, the, the kind of the lives of the traditional retail market anyway, because a lot of them are going to be using Web2 solutions at the moment. And what we have to do is find better ways to bring institutional Web2 companies over to Web3 by giving them a fundamental reason out with just privacy or out with just affordability or speed. It's got to be a whole host of all of these things. But anyway, that was some of my thoughts. I think it's been one of the better spaces I've heard in a long time. You all speak so very well about this this topic. And uh, just wanted to say thanks, guys, for, for sharing. That's great. That was such a good comment. Um, thanks for chipping in. And uh, and yeah, I com I completely agree. It's like it's it's really time to to deliver real value. And I think maybe one interesting way to think about things is that when it comes to blockchain, you know, tokens in in a sense are like the kind of end user facing thing. And that's why like so much like focus is on, you know, the kind of crazy sensationalist market dynamics. Um, but the actual because exactly because the kind of blockchain you know, as a kind of, you know, bigger architecture and a solution um, is something that is, you know, is, is quite complex and actually needs, you know, uh, adoption at the, at the enterprise and institutional, um, in the institutional areas in, in order for end users to, to start to see the value being delivered. So, yeah, I completely agree with your comments and, and thanks so much for chipping in. Um, it's been a real pleasure to be here. Awesome. Appreciate it, Nikos. Ajaya, thank you very, very much for, for jumping onto the space and, and walking us through what NIM is, what it means to you, and, and what you do as well in regards to in uh, contributing to NIM. But uh, again, thank you everyone for, for jumping on the space. If you want to go check out NIM, uh, you can follow them at NIM Project, or you can check out their website at nimtech.net. Uh, please make sure to go and support them, uh, as always. We'll be on our next Into the Inner Chain uh, the following Wednesday. Uh, we have a special guest coming as well, so that's already planned. Same time, uh, 11 a.m. CST. And uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your morning, evening, or afternoon, wherever you are. Thanks very much, everyone. Thanks, guys. See ya. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was Into the Interchain, hosted by Shade Protocol, featuring NIM. Recorded on Wednesday, December 14th, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. And if you want to keep listening, head on over to TerraSpaces.org slash donate and show some support. Now, with Spark IDC enabled. Sneaking through back alleys on a little cosplay. Broadway all day, looking like the wrong way. Resuscitating major players in the waiting room. Sifting through the paperwork while I be debating fools. Breaking rules, breaking bad, like we always wait for doom. Slayed a few in my early years, often in the shroom. Sitting in the dark, waiting for the daily news to let us know what we should believe as the latest truth. Stay aloof, writing rhymes in the studio. Trying to keep it well lit, like filming a movie role. Sorting through support from your endorsements. Of course, we're true. Ripping balls, handed reports in. The latest proof ain't a way to move, change the view. Just a bunch of pack of heads living in a chicken coop. Picking at the dinner, finger licking like the plate is gizzle. Kick it for a minute, then show me what that thinker do. Two plus two. Show me what that thinker do. Two plus two. Show me what that thinker do. Two plus two. Show me what that thinker do. Big thinking energy always gets the best of me When I kick it in the lab, messing with new recipes Gotta mix and match, flip the lash, letting rhythm scratch Over shit, spitting facts with my vision smash Big drip aristocrats, dishing out a list of trash Missing wisdom, this fish is too big to catch Better let the missus know where you hit the stash Watch your next step, bro, before you hit the traps Walking on eggshells, tripping over landmines And I'm about done dealing with these damn lies Man, I'm looking at this planet like a franchise Chastising to digging holes in the back nine. The latest
this proof ain't a way to move Change the view, just a bunch of pecker heads living in a chicken coop Picking at the dinner finger, licking like the plate is good So kick it for a minute, then show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Ten spaces.